We are. I, you know, I'll tell you, I don't. I don't think that's correct because. Okay, we'll uh, tell you in a second. No, we turned a page. Uh, no, actually. I unless think, somebody changed no, it. It's yeah. uh, Gimel. No, we did that last week too. I think. No, yeah, no we we're on Gimel. We are. Yeah. Okay, Gimel. Uh, gather, walk, camel, foot, and uh, always read before reading the Bible. Said one wise man who was giving a Bible class in Sarasota and Gulfgate. Here it goes, Gamel. Do good to your servant, and I will live. I will obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Your rebuke, you rebuke the arrogant who are cursed and who stray from your commands. Remove from me scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. No rulers sit together and slander me. Your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Nice. Nice. What What is the verse in there that you say every day? What? What's the verse in there that he just read that you say every oh, day? Oh, I, no, I read the 119th Psalm. Not I read one octave of the 119th Psalm every day. Yeah. Not one particular verse. I read the first eight. But there's one verse in this one that you say every day. Eighteen. Eighteen. Open my eyes. And oh I yes, absolutely. Open my day. eyes when I. That's especially when I'm sermon yeah. typing. Yeah. Absolutely right. Yeah, I was doing something over here and I wasn't registering. Well, what's so. funny is that like you must have. We must have been on Gimel when you said always read this before. I'm like going, well, it must be this particular <laughs> one here. It's like, uh, oh boy, just, just put some arrows going from. Yeah, the whole. I just read one octave every day. Just it's a great way to prepare your mind for the, uh, for the, uh, coming of reading the Bible. Okay, last week before we get started, I could not. You know, I said Revelation nineteen ten global warming, and uh, I, I had once again I had upside down dyslexia instead of reverse dyslexia. It's Revelation sixteen ten, and so I'll read you that. I just want to get that out of the way because I hate not having something that I was talking about. You want to see global warming? Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. Um, okay, that's not the one I want either. Um, yes, um, uh, I, well, I said 1610. Okay, that's not the one I wanted either. It's one of these that um, uh, I looked it up on uh, this week, and I'm sure, what does yours say in 1610? Or yours, one of you guys. Sixteen ten. Yeah. Of, of where are we now? We're back in, in sixteen. Revelation sixteen ten. I'm just wondering Revelation. what it says, because I looked it up and I said that's the verse that I wanted to say. So oh, anyway, eight. Uh, eight. Um, yeah, that's it. Um, eight and nine. Okay, that's that's the one I wanted. So I, what I did is I just that's exactly it. Um, verse eight. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Okay, so there you go. That's what I want is the, the great heat. So um, uh, the people are in agony because of the great heat. Well, that's that's uh, uh, global warming, but it's not because no. of what people are talking about right now. No, it's so not. there you go. Okay, but then. How, how nice of God to give them exactly what they Exactly want. what they want. That's exactly what they want. Okay, I got one more thing and then we'll get started is um, 
uh, Remy in the Philippines. Uh, she sent a whole bunch of photos to me of a, a trip out to the hinterlands, and the poverty of those people mm. is just unbelievable. It's you know I remember that when I was there, but I've kind of forgotten how bad it actually is. And uh, she said if anybody wants to help with food for rice for the children in the hinterland, she'd appreciate that. So if you want to give money for that. Uh, let me know. I'll tell you how you can get it to her or whatever. But uh, uh, food for the children in the hinterland. And uh, wow, I just, you know what? I used to love being in the Philippines and Malaysia. And we'd go out and drive around in the country. Uh, uh, when we adopted my daughter, the family that helped us with that took me all through the island of Luzon and all the way out into the middle of nowhere. And it was just so beautiful. But the people are so absolutely desperately poor that it's unbelievable. So I completely get that. Um, this is for some people over there. And um, let's see here. Okay, Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to come into your presence and to uh, read this wonderful word and to uh, share in it and to just revel in it. And what a great word it is. It's so big. It's so massive. It, we can't possibly begin to even grasp a portion of what's in there, but we can do our best to get the basics right. And so help us to do this, to uh, be sound in our doctrine, and uh, just above all, to have the heart that we need for Jesus, and to never let anything replace that. Not even sound doctrine can replace the, the love that we need to feel for you at all times. So help us, because uh, we get uh, pulled away in many ways, Lord. We get distracted by things. We get uh, uh, our time gets consumed, and we just fail to take the time to thank you for who you are, to praise you for who you are, and to love you with all of our hearts and souls. And we can do that because of Jesus. We know that you do it towards us, and we should also return that to you. So help us in this, Lord. Thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now. Before we get into the uh, thing, Kathleen sent us this. And so instead of reading that one, she said the doctrine on this is pretty good. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to find out right now. I have not read it, but um, this is On This Day in Christian History, 365 Amazing and Inspiring Stories About Saints, Martyrs, and Heroes. And it's by Robert J. Morgan. So we're going to see how it is. Let's uh, see. September 28th, is that right? All day. Okay. Uh, King Wenceslas, sounds like a, a movie or something. Uh, we know of good King Wenceslas primarily because he happened to look out his window on the feast of Stefan while the snow lay round about deep and crisp and even. Actually, we aren't even certain of that. Wenceslas was born in Bohemia, modern Czechoslovakia, in er the early 900s. His father, the Czech ruler, Duke Radislav, gave him a good education supervised by his grandmother, Ludmilla. Ludmilla, a devout woman, did a good job. He became a king. When his father died, Wenceslas, seeing his mother mishandle affairs of state, stepped in and seized the reins of government. But he took control on his terms. From the beginning, King Wenceslas was a different sort of king. He sought good relations with surrounding nations, especially with Germany. He took steps to reform the judicial system, reducing the number of death sentences and the arbitrary power of judges. He reportedly <clears throat> excuse me, encouraged the building of churches. Most of all, he showed heartfelt concern for the poor of the realm. He cut fire for orphans and widows. Firewood. He cut firewood for orphans and widows. It is said often carrying the provisions on his own shoulders through the snow. Now that's a good king there. 
this inspiring, uh, thus inspiring J.M. Neal's Christmas Carol. Wenceslas's brief reign ended suddenly. His brother Boleslav, pagan and rebellious, invited him to a banquet, then murdered him the next morning, September 28, 929, as he left for church. There's no direct evidence apart from his virtuous reputation that Wenceslas was a genuine Christian, for he left behind no written testimony. Much of our information about him comes from legend. But his people venerated him as a martyr, and today he is the patron saint of Czechoslovakia. Therefore, Christian men, be sure, wealth or rank possessing, ye who now will bless the poor, shall yourselves find blessing. Okay, and they say in James 1.27, religion that pleases God, the Father must be pure and spotless. You must help the widows, uh, help the orphans and widows, and not let this world make you evil. Okay, so there you go. Um, thank you, Kathleen. Okay, so we are in one, th I'm sorry, yes, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're almost done with it now. What? I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. We've had two people gone for a while, and uh, uh, I wasn't allowed to say it openly that uh, we had a couple sick people because I don't want anybody to know. So I didn't say anything, but Rhoda and Sergio are back, back. in the church, and they're feeling well finally. So, yeah, so I was told you're not allowed to say anything, so I, I didn't. What? A good nurse. Yes. He had a good nurse, and then she had a good nurse. So it was kind of like one you week did, after the, the other. She was out for a week. Yeah. yeah. She never went and got checked. Yeah. Okay, so we're in uh, one nine. Yes, we are. I'm going to start at the beginning of the paragraph, which is five. All this is evidence that God, God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are suffering. Six, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. Seven, and give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in the blazing fire with his powerful angels. Eight. He will punish those who do not know God and, who, and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That's where mine ends. Okay, and we're in nine now. We are? Yes. Really? Yes. Did we finished that last week? Okay, mm -hmm. nine. Okay, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Okay, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Okay, so there you go. Uh, let's see here. Wow, Paul, really? Rather unpolitically correct of you to say such a thing. The result of the vengeance, and I was thinking about that uh, this past week, being vindictive is different than vengeance. Vengeance is taking out punishment on somebody it, without any Emotion. emotions. Vindictiveness is something that you do purposefully like you're 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 going to manipulate the situation just to take out with emotions and it may be arbitrary it may be uh, I'm going to do it to you today and not tomorrow in other words being vindictive is something that it, it does not correspond to vengeance and you had brought that up and I just had thought about it this week vindictiveness is different than vengeance vengeance is something that uh, we will take out, you know, like we do it in society. Well, we don't anymore, but uh, we used to say uh, somebody commits a crime and we take them. We take out vengeance upon them. Okay. A vindictive judge would be one that says, 
you're a Republican, and so I'm going to give you this much uh, uh, punishment. But a Democrat, I'm going to let you go out on the street. Okay, that's being vindictive. That's, I'm taking out on something because of an attribute that you possess that this p person doesn't in one way or another. God is not like that. He will take out vengeance according to his infinite standard. Okay, and uh, so we're going to see in Philadelphia that there is not properly rendered vengeance in the coming weeks. We're just going to see it. These people were arrested. They did certain things, and nothing's going to happen to them. Or if it does, it'll be a slap on the wrist. And that's just the way the world is. Um, uh, you know, I was watching this. I'd say this right now, just because it, it, it deals with vengeance and vindictiveness, is uh, they were posting on Twitter uh, this past week um, this lady that is in New York, the AG that is pers prosecuting, persecuting Trump, and um, uh, the comment that they made on this particular video was that this is not admissible in a trial in New York. And so what they are showing will never be allowed to be seen in uh, the trial. But they have video after video, you know, 15, 20 second clips of this woman before Trump was inaugurated in the office of him, of her saying, I'm going to get him. I, just very vindictive. That is vindictiveness. We're going to uh, bring charges against him every chance we get. Even, and she was openly saying this. It, it, without any basis for any charge of anything, we're just going to do this, and we're going to do it, and we're going to do it. And they showed it again and again. None of that can be used in court. Now, the good thing is that even if they do find him guilty, it can be used on appeal. And so, you know, it, it may not be admissible in New York, but later they can bring it out, and eventually, if it has to, it'll get to the Supreme Court, and all of that will come out, and they'll say this was obviously vindictive. It is somebody that purposely is doing something without any justifiable vengeance behind it. So there you go. Little difference in uh, what is being uh, uh, presented there on last week. Anyway, um, punishment lies ahead for those, as Paul said, who, this is his words, do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now I don't know if I'm going to talk about the word obey or not, but uh, to obey simply means anybody but in this context to obey the gospel of our lord jesus believe, christ believe, believe that's all it means it you'll see that in deuteronomy when they did not go into the promised land they did not believe the lord they did not obey him even though no commandment was given it and then that is explicitly stated in the book of hebrews where he equates directly the word obey to belief in the book of Hebrews. Look it up, yeah. In the book of Hebrews. You can go to, um, uh, let me see if I can find it, seeing how you want that. Um, it may take a minute. If it does, I won't do it. But all you need to do is put in obey in the book of uh, Hebrews, and um, it, it'll come up, and then you can read it. But I'll, uh, I'll Hebrews 5.9. Hebrews 5.9. Let me see if I can find that. And um, uh, give me just a second. I dropped everything over here. So, uh, no, that's okay. That was my fault for not getting it up on this, and I should have that on my lap anyway. So, uh, Hebrews 5, verse, um, uh, let's see here. Um, uh, yeah, uh, okay, it says here, and have, that's one of them. There should be one more. Having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest. Um, the one I'm thinking of is uh, they did not obey in the wilderness. So there should be another one. It may not be on that. Um, uh, they may have said believe in that case. And so that's the one I'm looking for is um, uh, they, uh, who was it did not, did not, oh, yeah. okay. Uh, 
Did you find it? Okay. And who was it that did not believe? Uh, who did not enter? That's what we're looking for. And who was it who did not enter? And uh, uh, if if you find it, great. Oh, uh, 318. Okay, 318. That's the one that I'm looking for. Um, it says, uh, and I was on that page. So, yeah. Now, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey, now listen to this, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. He directly equates obedience to belief or not belief. And so, and he also equates it to sinning, okay? I was thinking about this today, thank you. Oh, that's okay. And I think it just goes right here. Good, thank you. Yeah, they're all numbered at the bottom. Good, thank you. Um, the, um, The book of Job, I've been listening to that in the car for the past couple days, and it, again and again, Elihu in particular uh, was who I was listening to this morning, and he talks about man sinning, transgressing, right? Were they under law? No. But they knew. No. It was they, yeah, there, there was a conscience in these people that they knew that they were sinning against either God or in this way or that way, morally transgressing, okay? There was no law. The only people on this planet that were ever, ever given the law were the Hebrew people. These people were outside of the covenant, and yet they were talking about that. Okay, In the case of uh, coming to Christ and obeying the gospel, and like I say, I may repeat this in this, but I just got it in my mind and I don't want to miss it, is that obey means to believe. God has said something. He has given us a uh, demonstration of it. I'm going to send my son into the world to take away the sin of the world. His son does that, and we are expected to believe that. That is obeying or believing, being obedient to the gospel, okay? And that's what Paul, his words there mean. Um, You know, somebody emailed me just a while ago. You know, there's always a new variation on the same old theme. Um, Let me see if the email is still in my um, thing. And it's a new cult, we'll call it that I'd never even heard of, but it's just another variation on the same old thing. Let me see if I can find this. Um, He calls it um, uh, Follow Jesus, Obey Torah Community. It's a subtle works-based community that believes we're 100% saved by Christ, but that we need to obey the Torah to receive rewards. So it's just the same thing that they keep repeating, the devil keeps doing throughout history. Law, 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 law. Don't trust in Jesus. You have to earn what God has already given you. Also, also in Acts, when he gives the speeches, say, obey, uh, God commands that everybody comes to... That's right. Yeah, and so the command is, if you obey... To, to, to obey is to believe. And also in John, when he says, um, uh, uh, in, the, in the first... One John in the epistles. Right. It's also saying to um, uh, God commands uh, that every uh, uh, the commands are not burdensome. And right. That those commandments are salvation in Jesus Christ. That's right. The commandments are not speaking of the law yeah, of Moses. Right. And that's what these type of people do. They say we have to be obedient to his commandments. Well, what commandments? The commandment is John 6 29. Have you got that in front of you? If not, just. No, I was looking at yeah. John 5. Well, pull up John 6 29 and read that to us real loud so people online can hear you. This is 629. I could quote it to you, but I want you to read it because you're the one that got us off on this, this tangent. <laughs> Can they hear him? Okay, uh, yeah. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. That's it. This is the work of God. Believe in him whom he sent. 
So our work, given by God, is to believe in Jesus. It's not to observe the Torah. It's not to, you know, it, it, this guy gave me one example. He said that he's on this, this blog where these people are asking the professionals questions. And one of them says, can I heat up my food on Saturday in my microwave or is that a violation of the law? It's the same thing that they've been doing now for thousands of years that Paul speaks about in Galatians chapter 2. They will spend more time going through this effort than they ever would have just learning proper theology. Right. They, they don't want to do that. They want to take the easier route, which turns out to be more difficult in the end. So I can, uh, I can, I can talk to the experts. Yeah, I can talk to the experts, and they spend the rest of their life spending way too much time on things Under that do not profit. The yep. experts. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, it, it's explicit. Not under law. Too easy. Under there has grace. To be more work. Yeah. Okay. So it is punishment that is eternal in nature, and it is punishment that is universal in scope, accepting only those who have called on Jesus and who are the redeemed of the Lord. I didn't even bother with the obey part, but I explicit. I say it there. Have called on Jesus. That is the obedience. That is what God wants of us. It needs to be understood from the Greek here that the word translated as destruction does not mean annihilation. Instead, and this is helps word studies, it emphasizes the consequent loss that goes with the complete undoing. In other words, one cannot justify the doctrine of no eternal hell for unbelievers. That's the doctrine of annihilationism. God doesn't want to send anybody to hell. If they're not saved, they annihilate them. This is what God is going to do. That is, you know, some people say, well, that's a heresy. That's not a heresy. It's just very poor theology. Sure. It explicitly says that they are going to get chucked into the lake of fire where the devil and his angels are, and they'll be punished forever and ever. It says that. There is no such doctrine in Scripture known as annihilationism. And you'll always see that annihilationism belongs to either cults or it belongs to, well, even they are cults, but, you know, churches that are so far liberal that they will not take a literal reading of the Bible. Okay, maybe I'm not going to be saved by Jesus, but I'm certainly not going to be punished forever. That is not what the Bible says, okay? But you'll see people going towards annihilationism because they don't want to hurt people's feelings or they don't want to really think that God is who he is presented as in Scripture, etc. So annihilation doesn't hurt? Annihilate? Well, you're just annihilated. But uh, an, an offense against an eternal God requires an eternal punishment. That's just the nature of who God is, okay? When we offend him, he is eternally offended by that. The only way to remove that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you don't remove it, then the offense remains before him forever. There can be no such thing as annihilationism if you just think it through. Um, uh, instead of annihilation, it will be a type of ruination from the presence of the Lord. They will be eternally ruined from the presence of the Lord. Whatever hell will be like in its fullest sense, and I'm not here to talk about it because the Bible doesn't give very little, very little description of what it's going to be like. Whatever it will be like in its fullest sense, and whatever pains or sufferings the damned soul will receive, the worst possible punishment is the thing that those who hate God claim they want the most, to cast off the Lord and to have nothing to do with God. This they will receive, but it will only be after they have 
beheld his glory. They will see the perfection of all things when they see God, and that will then be removed from them forever. That will be the worst part, and I'm certain of that. Whatever hell is like, whatever punishment, whatever torment they are in, the greatest torment will be that they were removed from the presence of what they saw. And you think of Eve, when she was cast out of Eden, all she could do was think of going back to read the account from that perspective and you'll know what's on her mind. I have acquired a man with the Lord. I am getting back there and I'm part of it too. I've earned my salvation and my return, but that's all she could think about. I guarantee you that that is what went through her mind. And that was just perfection in Eden. You know, she's still alive. She's not in any, you know, but she is separated from the Lord. They no longer had that familiarity with the Lord that they had and that would have hounded them for the rest of their lives. But they did have the hope that there would be restoration. These people don't believe in restoration, and when they see what they could have had, it will be the worst possible torture. And they will have beheld his glory at the great white throne judgment. In this, they will see the source of all goodness, glory, and desire. Now think of that, because everything that we want and everything that we desire in this world it may be corrupted like you know sexual sin or it may be uh you know misdirected like wanting more money and more stuff whatever those things are things that we desire and why do we desire them because we want to fulfill a need in our lives but when we see god who is the fulfiller of every need because he is the source of every possible thing that we could ever want that will then be deprived or taken away from them that is ruination I can tell you right there, that is ruination. Um, uh, the spiritual connection that they had run from in this life. Um, let's see here, where is that? Um, uh, yeah, the memory of that separation alone will be the greatest torment of all. There will be nothing of God's eternal splendor, and thus there will be only lack, deprivation, and the highest desire to return to him for the water of life and the spiritual connection that they had run from in this life will not have access to that. Now, we equate our life, and Sergio and I can tell you this perfectly because we were with Yossi walking through uh, the desert from Jericho to Jerusalem, and we needed water. We didn't have any water, and we were desperately in need of it. And we also needed one other thing. Do you remember what it was? Shade. Beef jerky. Yeah, shade beef jerky. Beef jerky. <laughs> yeah, shade. Two of the things that the Bible describes God as, he is a shade at our right hand. He's the one that covers us and keeps the heat off of us and the, uh, uh, the water. Okay, those are things that we needed. And we are taking those physical things, and then the Bible takes it and puts it into a spiritual metaphor. So when I say here, the highest desire to return to him for the water of life and the spiritual connection they had run from in this life, I'm not speaking about a physical body that needs water desperately. Maybe that'll be the case with them. I don't know. All I know is that these people will not have what the water pictures, which is the flow of the, the spiritual nature of God coming into us and allowing us to participate in his goodness. They will see God. They will behold him, but they will not receive that. And therefore, whether they have physical temporal bodies or whether they're spiritual, the ruination will be the same, okay? It will be something that is so beyond what we can perceive, and it'll be forever. They'll never get a chance to return to what they could have had. But uh, just think of that, is that every single thing that is good in our lives, 
everything that we long for, that we strive for, whether it's warped or whether it's uh, not warped, it doesn't matter. We're striving for that thing. We want that thing. It's nothing compared to what is coming when we behold God in his fullness with our spiritual connection, connection forever. And they won't have that. That's, that to me is by far the worst thought that I could think is to be deprived knowing that everything, everything could be yours and you have nothing. I don't know. I, I, maybe you don't feel that way, but that's, I typed this years ago and I still think it constantly. Yes, Bart? Rich, rich man wanted just a touch. Yeah, water. that's right. The rich man wanted just a touch of water. That's all. It, to cool his tongue. And it, that was a, basically a picture of the separation from God. The spiritual water, the, the connection back to God. He couldn't have it. Okay. This glory of the power of the Lord certainly has, at least in part, the thought of the human Christ reigning on his throne. And yet it surely signifies the divine Lord as well. There's both the physical and spiritual aspect of Jesus, which will endure forever. He will lead his people, but he will also continuously and ceaselessly reveal the unseen Father to us. It is this ongoing revelation of the glory of God that those to be cast away from his presence will desire with all of their mind. Every single thing that they are, that they consist of, every single fiber of their being will long for what they had lost. Whatever they're like, like I said, they may be uh, physical bodies forever. They may just be, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to, to abuse scripture by making things up about what hell will be like. But I do know that when they see God, when they understand the goodness that is flowing from him at the great white throne judgment, when I say they see God, I mean they see Jesus, who is the, the judge of all mankind. When they see that, they see how infinitely perfect he is, and then they're deprived of that. This will be all that they will ever think about forever and ever. They will be deprived of this boundless joy and it will utterly consume them. However, the misery of having realized that it is the human Jesus that made this possible and that they rejected him, that will be the source of eternal regret. I mean, you think of the people that you've told about Jesus and they've just walked away and said, I don't want any part of that. They will realize that they, they are the ones that Put, them there. put themselves there. They rejected God who was going to grant them an eternity of everything that they could ever imagine. Right now we think of, you know, getting rich and I got a big house and I'm, you know, that kind of stuff won't matter to us at all. Whatever it's going to be like, it's not going to be like we're ever increasing stuff. That's not going to be our interest. We're going to be ever increasing in the knowledge of God, in the goodness of him. I, you know, I can't even, we can't even imagine it. It's just not possible to imagine what it will be like because we're so limited in this world. We have to eat in the morning and then we get hungry and we eat again a couple hours later, you know? It doesn't matter what you do. There's always a need to redo it. There's always a need. There won't be that type of a need. We will be filled forever with the goodness of God. You know, we, we just can't imagine it. But that will be their source of eternal regret that they had turned down the offer that God gave them in the giving of Jesus. It will eat them up for all eternity that they had mocked and mistreated the exalted name of Jesus, exchanging it for whatever lie they held to in this temporary, pitiful life. Life application. In 2 Kings 25, Zedekiah, 
the king of Judah was captured by the king of Babylon. He was taken before him, and his sons were killed before his eyes. After that, they put out his eyes. Thus, the last thing that he ever saw was the ending of his family line. The painful memory of his failed life would be seared into his conscience forever. This is the thought presented to us by Paul's words of this verse. In both cases, the wounds were self-inflicted. But in the case of those who have rejected Christ Jesus, the wounds will be infinitely more painful. Pay heed and call on Christ today. Now, that's not a sermon on hell. I don't like sermons on hell. I'd rather preach on the grace of God and Jesus Christ. But that is a commentary on what is actually coming for people. And if people dislike that, all I'm doing is evaluating Paul's words, and I know exactly what he is talking about. It's obvious on the surface when he says that they will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, that that means that being denied the presence of the Lord in itself is everlasting destruction. You Here's think what it will really get them. All you had to do is believe. All you had to do is believe. That's it. Just accept the gospel, not to ask somebody about microwaving pizza on Saturday if it's okay or not. All you have to do is believe. And your rewards are not going to be based on those type of things. They're going to be on your faith in what you do. That's not faith, asking somebody if I can microwave a pizza on Saturday night. There's no faith in that. Okay? Your rewards will be based solely on deeds that are done in faith. That's it. Because that's all we can give to God. And I say that in the commentary either today or tomorrow or yesterday, is that even love is an act of faith. Because... You can't love God if you don't believe that he's there. So even our love for God is an act of faith. Okay, um, 110. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Okay, well, I'm a little behind here because I didn't have my book. I took it out for some reason. Okay, and that was verse 10. 10. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. It's close enough. Okay. Here we have a sharp and resounding contrast to the previous verse. He just said that those who don't know God and who don't obey the gospel of Jesus will be punished. This will include their removal from the glory of his power. In contrast to that, it says, when he comes. This is speaking of Jesus. This defines the period of time that the punishment upon the wicked will occur. It is Paul's words in that day. The contrast uh, for those who have believed in the gospel will come about. That's going to happen in that day. You've got these people and you've got these people. All right. In this, he says that he is, Paul's words again, to be glorified in his saints. The glory spoken of is not through his saints, nor is it among his saints. Instead, it will be in his saints. He suffered and died so that we may live. In contrast to those who reject him, they will suffer and die because he, in fact, lives. They ignored this willingly and they will receive their just punishment for their failure to acknowledge his work, which he accomplished for them. Thus, they are found unworthy of its merits. Now, I know somebody will email or they'll ask the question from time to time, what about the people that never heard of Jesus? 
Okay, Paul is speaking about people that have actively rejected Jesus here, okay? But he speaks about the people that have never heard of Jesus in places like Romans. Death spread to all man. Adam sinned and death spread to all man because all, all sinned. We have received sin, okay? That may seem unfair, but that's just the way it is, okay? It may seem unfair to you that you're born in Pyongyang and you have to live under a tyrant, but that's just the way it is. You will obey him or you will get the back of your head shot off, okay? That's just how things work over there. Some people will say, you know, it's not fair that I was born in Honduras, okay? That's just where you were born, okay? Not everybody can be born into a billion-dollar house because it doesn't work that way, all right? Some of us are born in America. Some of us are born in Japan. We emigrate to America, whatever, okay? This is the way that things happen. God has ordained that certain things will happen within the stream of time. And one of the things that he has ordained is that we are under a federal head. That is Adam, our first father. We were all born to Adam. We weren't born to a monkey in, in uh, Africa. We weren't born to a chimpanzee, and I guess they're in Africa too, wherever, all right? But we were born to a human being, and that human being has fallen, and therefore we have assumed his fallen nature, okay? The difference between them and us is that God has said he is going to redeem us. Not, not all of us. He's going to redeem those who will fit into the plan that he has set forth. And some people are born in Africa and they never get to hear the gospel, but they're already condemned. John 3, 18. It's already done. So Okay, so people don't need Jesus to go to hell. They need Jesus to go to heaven, okay? If Jesus is not available to somebody in, uh, you know, Africa in 1067 AD, it's just the way of the world. He wasn't born in the U.S. in 1967. That's just the way of the world, okay? I, I know that is kind of a simplistic explanation, but that's what Paul says. We all sinned in Adam, and therefore we're all condemned already, all of us, okay? What we need is the provision of God in Christ, and that's why we send people on missionary journeys. That's why we, you know, go out and we tell people like Jose, you know, he's over in Israel right now, but I'm sure that he is still telling people about Jesus. We know that he told one guy because he sent out an email one day. This is just in the past week. He said, you know, this guy, and I began with a K. I can't remember the name right now, but he said, please pray for this guy. The next day we get an email saying, we're going to be baptizing him in the Jordan today, okay? So he's telling people about Jesus even there because he understands that those people need Jesus, right? Okay. That guy would not be saved unless somebody spoke to him. It's not going to happen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He is conveying the word of God in a verbal form to these people. All right. If they don't hear the word of God, it doesn't matter if they were born in 1067 AD in Africa or in Nazareth, Israel in, you know, we'll say he was born 20 years ago, whatever. Okay. I don't know how old the guy was. They're still lost. They still need Jesus. The point of us doing what we do is not to have coffee and donuts on Sunday morning. It's to learn the Word of God, to mature in the Word of God, but also to have a heart for getting the Word of God into people's lives that have never heard that Word of God. Okay? So that's your answer, whether it's sufficient for you or not. That's what Paul says. And so our job is to correct that, if possible, in as many people as possible, while we have time, okay? Should be our incentive. 
Yeah, that's our that's our incentive. That's exactly right. So um, <clears throat> in this, he says, I better go back here. Um, uh, this will include the removal of the glory of his power. In contrast to that, it says, when he comes. I know I read that. Um, uh, in that day, the contrast for those who have believed in the gospel will come about. Those who believe and those who do not believe, they'll be the contrast. In this, he says that he is to be glorified in his saints. And if I've already read this, I apologize because I, I got my finger here, but I don't know where it was pointing to. Um, the glory spoken of is not, oh, I did read that, okay? Um, yeah, I read this too. They ignored this willingly and they will receive their just punishment, which is what I was just talking about, for their failure to acknowledge his work, when he, which he accomplished for them. Thus, they are found unworthy of its merits. These are people that were fallen. They need Jesus. They didn't receive Jesus. They are unworthy. That's the category that Paul is speaking about here. He speaks about all categories of people. Nothing is missed in the word of God, okay? The people that haven't heard the gospel, he speaks about them here. The people that have and that, you know, later come to Christ, whatever. It's all covered. There's nothing missing in the process of getting people saved. God didn't leave anything out of his word, in other words. Everything is, that is necessary for us to get the word out is in scripture, okay? But for the saints, this is the contrast, they will reflect his glory because they received his atonement and are covered by his righteousness. And this is the important thing to remember is that there's no merit in us for what we have. Zero. There's no merit for what we have. We are right now, I'm talking about all of us right now, we are in the same boat that we were before we came to Jesus as far as I'm in the same body, I make the same stupid mistakes, I failed the Lord all the time. The difference is that now I am covered by the blood of Christ. So when God sees me, he's not looking at me specifically. He's looking at me who is covered by Christ. He's seeing what Christ has done that has been imputed to me and he is no longer counting my sins against me, okay? And that same is true for any person that is called on Christ. If you're not in Christ, all he sees is your sinful state. He doesn't see anything else, okay? I know that may sound cold and harsh or whatever, but that is the reality. God sees us either sinners or not sinners, and the difference is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it, okay? And along with this, he is to be, Paul's words, he is to be admired among all those who believe. This reflects the state of what has occurred in us. We have, by a simple act of faith, been granted the righteousness of Christ, but it is his righteousness. We can claim no credit for this. Instead, we will always remember that the lamb was slain so that we might live. That is what God has done for us. He has sent his son into the world as an act of grace. We received it by faith. We didn't do anything other than that. Our hearts were convicted. We believed, and God granted us his righteousness by an act of faith, okay? Um, I was, I think I might have typed this in a commentary this morning, and I might not have. I don't remember what I typed, but I was outside taking a shower, and while I was there, I was thinking about uh, uh, our state before God. And, you know, doctrine is important. I may have said this last week here too, but I'll say it again anyway. Doctrine is important. Paul never waffled on doctrine. He never allowed people with bad doctrine to get away with it. He was very firm on doctrine. But I, I got this idea from 
Acts. I don't know if I typed this in the commentary, but I got this from Acts, is that uh, Paul said um, they were they heard Agabus come up to uh, Paul and bind his hands and his feet, and he said, Thus shall the man be delivered uh, in Jerusalem to the Gentiles. That's Charlie Garrett paraphrase. That's not an exact wording of it, but Paul is going to be handed over to the Gentiles. And the next sentence says, they were imploring Paul to not go, okay? And what does he say in return? Why are you breaking my heart? I'm not ready only to, um, uh, don't want to misquote it, but let me read it to you just so that I get it right because uh, the whole point of this is, let me get this really quickly. It's just so wonderful. I've just been dwelling on it all day long, but I remember standing in the shower trying to process it in my mind. It says, um, I think it's about verse 13. Um, where is it? 13, then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not ready, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to, to, to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, he was a man of doctrine. He was a man of absolute right and wrong in certain things in life, but he never lost the heart for the Lord, okay? You can, and my, my thoughts were, you've got the church at Ephesus that had all the right doctrine. He commends them for it, but he said what? You have lost your first love. They were so into doctrine. They were so into doing the right things, maybe going out and having, uh, you know, uh, fundraisers for uh, poor people or, you know, serving uh, uh, pancakes out at the uh, uh, boys club on 21st Street or whatever. They're so into that that they forget that they need to have the heart for the Lord. And that is Paul. That's what he's saying. I'm ready to die for the Lord Jesus. He didn't forget his first love. That's what consumed him. All of the doctrine was because he loved the Lord, not because he simply loved doctrine. And there are people that that's all they think about is doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. And I kind of find myself in that position at times. I want so badly for people to not be, you know, pulled aside by bad doctrine that it consumes me. And I'll type long emails explaining things to them, trying to pull them back into what is right, okay? But at the same time, I always have to say, this is because of Jesus. You have to keep reminding yourself of that because anything can take the place of Jesus if you allow it to. But Paul did not allow it to. He was willing to go because of the Lord Jesus. And that's where we need to be at all times is keeping that first and foremost. And if we can do that, if we can keep our heart on Jesus, then everything else should follow suit, okay? Um, I do know people that desperately love Jesus and they have the worst doctrine on the planet. They're just... You know, I don't know if it's because they don't want to study. I don't know if it's that they're, you know, not capable of understanding what's being presented. I have no idea. Talk to the experts. Well, I just know that there are people out there that Mm. they they live for Jesus in their heart and their mind, and that that consumes them. And that's what I was talking about with Robert Duvall when he did the movie The Apostle. The guy, he was a preacher. He had the worst doctrine. It was just terrible. It was terrible, but everything he did was geared toward Jesus. That's why I love that movie so much, is because despite all of his failings and despite the hugely stupid things he did, he played that part so well. He loved Jesus. At the end of the movie, spoiler alert, he's in prison. He's out on the chain gang. 
working on the side of the road, and he's singing about Jesus, and he's got all the guys around him singing about Jesus. I mean, I could not end a movie better than that. All he could, th his passion was Jesus, and yet he didn't have great doctrine. Doctrine is very important because it'll keep you from going to jail, right? But at the same time, the guy had a heart for the Lord. Anyway, what is done is past, but its effects will endure forever. It is a one time for all time thing. When we behold him in glory, we will give him the admiration that he eternally deserves because we have been eternally redeemed. As noted, this was by an act of faith. As Paul once again explains with the words, because our testimony among you was believed. That's Paul's words. That's not my words. The Calvinist doctrine of election and predestination is shown once again to be wholly incorrect here. Nowhere in scripture do we find the notion of being regenerated in order to believe. That is as nutty, I, you know, I can't use this term anymore because somebody, uh, I used to say everything was a football bat. Apparently that means something bad. Does so it? I'd never, I'd never even heard of it, you know. But uh, so af after she corrected me on that, I said, okay, well, we'll change it to a hockey puck. Um, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm puck. sorry, a tennis puck. I said, we'll change it to a tennis puck. So that's Wait my new second. one. So I've got to correct this. Yeah, don't tell me there's something about a tennis puck uh, because I, I need to... There is no tennis puck. That's the whole point. It is as nutty as a tennis puck. Paul and his associates shared the gospel. The people believed, and they were saved. Everybody got that? Yep. God doesn't change your heart and say, okay, you can now believe, and in believing, you will be saved. That is not scriptural. What Calvinism teaches is not scriptural in any way, shape, or form. Okay, the same is true with every single person who has re been redeemed since. Faith is excluded as a work according to Romans 3.27. It is something that comes from us and it is what then results in our salvation. People try to say, well, if you have to have faith, then that's a work. And so God had to give you the faith. No, that's what Calvinism teaches. It's, it's just, it is ridiculous. But let me take you there. Let me read you that. I think I said Romans 3.27. And I'll read you what it says. Um, it says um, Romans uh, 5, 4, 3.27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. He says that faith is not a work. And therefore, Calvinism has incorrectly divided scripture, okay? Life application. If you are excited about Jesus, then imagine how great it will be when we see him face to face. If you are saved but not excited about Jesus, you have a serious problem with understanding the magnitude of what he has done for you. You may have just forgotten it, you know, I was, that's what I was thinking. When I was in the shower, I was thinking, I remember when I first met the Lord. And I literally, Hedekoe will testify to this. I would sit in church, and it was a Methodist church. I mean, I just went where the neighbors went, right? I remember sitting there for months, not just one week, for months and months, tears streaming down my face when the song would start, and I'm thinking of what Jesus did for me, and it matches in the, you know, you came from heaven to earth. That song gives the gospel, basically. And I'm listening to it, and for months, the tears are streaming down my face. And I can't believe that he did this for me, right? 
And that has never changed. I don't have the same emotions. You can never keep an emotion at a high level. It's impossible, okay? It doesn't matter if you fall in love with a woman, there will always be a time where the emotions go to a different level. It becomes more mature, and that's normal. There's nothing wrong with that. My emotion for the Lord, though, is different, but it hasn't gone away. I just, that's all I can think about day and night, day and night, is that Jesus is the one. He did this for me, and now I'm learning about it. And when I learn about it, I get excited. I get excited that the Bible told me in pictures that this was going to happen someday and that these people would be redeemed. And when I hear about Israel, you know, coming back to the land that God promised them, it just confirms my own salvation. He hasn't rejected them. He is still covenant-keeping with them because he is the covenant-keeping God. Yes? People say I have to go back to when I was saved right. to, to confirm my salvation. To me, that's that's not necessary. No, it's not it, necessary. It, the, the last time that I'm sitting there in the office and the Lord just explodes all of that word to me, and he yeah. and I have a great, great fellowship. Absolutely. Right yes. It, it, yeah, you this, can never go week, back. Day before yesterday, whatever. It's over. As far as you have to go. Yeah, it's overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. You're sitting there studying the Bible, and you just I, like this morning. I'm typing. I type two commentaries this morning. I try to get ahead so that when I get to Monday, I don't have to type a commentary. I just forward one that I typed the day before. So I, during the week, I try always to get ahead with one. And today, I had extra time, and I typed another one. And I get so excited about it. It's but you can't go back to the beginning because that's just not reality. You remember the beginning. I remember what happened. I remember the joy I had. And now I have a different type of joy. But it's still the joy that passes, you know, all understanding. I mean, it just is beyond my comprehension. I'm just developing in a different and new way. But anyway, um, let's see here. Um, yeah. Um, reconsider your station. You've forgotten the magnitude of what he has done for you. Reconsider your station and be excited to glorify him for the marvelous things he has done for you. Yeah, it's wonderful. This is Jesus. This is the one who did all of it for us. God sent Jesus into the world to do these things. It really happened. Be excited about it. 111. So how long was this shower? <laughs> oh, I, boy, I got to tell you what. I, I, I'll tell you what happened. I don't want to embarrass anybody here, but we I have this outdoor shower. And, you know, Sergio, when he comes over, he's like, oh, this is so great. Isn't it? It's really nice. Okay. I've taken an outdoor shower every single day since I put the, It was one of the very first things I did when we moved in the house was run a shower out there. Okay, so it's been 30 years. And um, uh, we finally got a little hot water box from... Uh, Greg and Andy, mm -hmm. and uh, so we put that in, and so finally, I wasn't taking freezing cold showers in the winter time, right? And so they got longer. Yes. Well, no, they didn't get longer because you had to really have it on low okay. because the water was kind of trickling out. Well, when the guys did all the plumbing, I had them run a hot water line out there oh, too. Oh boy! Look at and that. I'm telling you what, I go out there and it, even when it's hot outside, I turn on the hot water now because it feels so good. Anyway, I, you know. So, the, the house that was the only plumbing that worked because they had to run something for us and they ran that first. Nothing else in the house worked, so you couldn't take a shower or do anything uh, inside, okay? They had one toilet downstairs that worked too. So, that was it. One toilet downstairs and the outdoor shower. And so, somebody I know 
had to go outside and take a shower. She has never taken one out there in 30 years. She refused. Since that day, she has not taken one shower inside. Not a bath, not a shower, nothing. That, it's so cute. She just, <laughs> it, it's so nice. I got to tell you what, it is so nice to have that and to just be able to blast that water. And uh, I, I, I got a shower head now, one of the big ones, and I bored out that thing that restricts it. Man, it comes out like 18 gallons a second. It, it's great. Oh, it is marvelous. Anyway. So you have a property that allows for that. that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if no, if, if I didn't have a property lab for it, I would still put one in. I just build a top on it too. You know, that's what. What is that over there? I don't think he's going in there to take a shower. I would always have one. I I love taking a shower outside. It's just as freeing. But yeah, you're right. I have a property where we got trees and there's nothing, so it's just you and nature. So it's a little different. Yeah, squirrels. Oh, hey, let me tell you about that. Before we go on, I got to tell you. Seeing how you mentioned the squirrels, listen to this. You know, when I was young, mom had a bird feeder. And I, I'm sure we had birds, but I never paid attention. It's just when you're young, you're not thinking about things like that. But our friends from Montana sent us a bird feeder, okay? And we put it out there a couple days ago. I can't tell you how much joy we've been getting out of this. We have got every type of bird I've ever imagined coming up to this. Sure. It's like within a day or so, they tell all their friends, the Blue Jays and the, the uh, we had uh, two of the red, red-headed woodpeckers out there. They just seem to come by even though they're not eating out of there. And then we've got cardinals and we've got these little gray, th every bird's just flying. It is so wonderful to see. You know, and the squirrels, they can't get there. I, I devised a squirrel-free uh, way of, you know, so I, I actually throw out seed on the ground for them because I feel so bad for them. But this is amazing. It is so marvelous to see these birds out there. Uh, we just can't get enough. She's like, take a picture, take a picture. And <laughs> Anyway, had to say that. Okay, well, go on. Um, uh, we're, we're, 111. Yeah, 111. With this in we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fill every good purpose of yours and every act promoted by your faith. Okay, this is completely different, completely. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. It kind of says the same thing, but it's just completely, yeah. it's written completely different. So much so that you'd have to sit down and study each word individually. Anyway, um, the word therefore, not in yours, in this one, the word therefore is looking back to the previous verses. In verse 5, uh, Paul said that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. In that verse, it was noted that this was a worth not of merit, but of standing. In verse 10, it then noted that when the Lord comes, he will be glorified in his saints. Because of these things and the surrounding verses, Paul says, therefore, or with a view unto this. Yours said it how? Um, um, it says with this in mind. With this in mind. Okay. With a view unto this. He and those with him, his words, also pray for you. When Christ is glorified in his saints, the view to which their prayers are directed, uh, this is the view to which their prayers are directed. His adding in the word also stresses the thought of the prayers they offer. They didn't just hope in a good outcome, but they actively prayed for it. 
With prayers being offered, they look forward to the good outcome, which Paul now explains, that our God would count you worthy of this calling. The calling here takes us right back to verse 5, which is a call of standing. It's not a call of merit. It's not, this is a call of standing. Paul prayed that they would stand firm in their calling and not shy back. They had been called, they were suffering for it, and Paul prayed that they would continue in their calling despite this. This is obvious because in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 12, he stated hopes that they would walk worthy of God who called them. And again in 1 Thessalonians 4 7, he noted that God had called them unto holiness. These things show that the calling was already in existence and that it would continue. Okay, it's not being worthy of the calling of the gospel. You believe and that's it. Okay, but you know, people, if they take things out of context, then you're going to damage what Paul is saying. With this in mind, he then noted that they also prayed that God would fulfill all good pleasure of his goodness. The word his is inserted here. It is true that the goodness is that which is godly, but it is more a personification of goodness which stems from him. Rather than his goodness, it's like the goodness of God, okay? Anyway, the scholar Oldshausen says of these words, may God fill you with all that good which is pleasing to him. They stand in their calling, and because of this, the hope is that they will perform according to their standing reflecting the goodness that would be expected of a person who was so called, okay? And this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to reflect the goodness of God in our lives. And I understand, you know, Charlie Garrett does not do that all the time, all right? And so I'm not meeting that, but that is what Paul is praying for, is that we would attempt in this life to live for God and be worthy of that calling by which we have been called not worthy that we will be called or that our salvation is actually real or something. If you believed, you're saved, okay? But now you are in a state. You are in that calling, and he's praying that you will be worthy of that state, okay? That's what he, Paul is trying to uh, communicate to us with his words. <clears throat> Finally, he says to them that their prayers are also directed to, his words, the work of faith with power. This essentially means to powerfully complete the work of faith that was able to produce in you. Okay, so you have this faith. That's what it's pointing to. The gospel was presented to them. They received the gospel by faith. And now it was prayed that they would be filled with the godly power to complete the work set before them in this new life. That's what Burke was talking about a minute ago. He's in his house and he's studying the word and he gets so excited about it. He's producing something with his faith, okay? A lot of people just get saved and they don't produce anything with it, all right? But if you are willing to expend yourself, and there are a million different ways of doing it. I'm not saying that there's anyone right or wrong. You know, we got Remy in the Philippines. She goes out to the hinterlands and she's helping people do stuff, okay? Feeding them and telling them about Jesus and having all kinds of meetings and stuff, all right? She's producing something with her faith, all right? That's what we should be doing, all right? Some people don't have the time to do those things, but they have plenty of money, and so they sent to help things get done, you know, to produce things. Well, you know, it, money is, I was talking to somebody about this this week. Money is a reflection of your time. 
If you have earned money, that is a reflection of what you have done with your life, okay? So if somebody steals from you, they're not just stealing some arbitrary thing. They're stealing a part of who you are as a human being. You have earned this. You have spent your life earning this. You might make a lot of money. You might make a little bit of money. It doesn't matter. They have taken something that you have earned that they have not earned away from you. Well, when you take that part of you, this representation of your life, these eight hours every day or these 12 hours a day, whatever that is, and you give it to help somebody, that's a demonstration of your faith. I'm talking about in a Christian context, okay? So if you can't do anything else and you can give to help the church, I'm not talking about the superior word, I'm talking about the, the people of the church. If you do that, then you are demonstrating a type of faith in what you're doing. So there are all kinds of ways that you can help people. You can actively do things. You can pray for people. That's doing something. You can give of yourself in this way or that way or one. There's no wrong way if you are doing it in faith. That's the main thing, okay? So um, uh, Paul's praying that they be filled with godly power to complete the work set before them in this new life. Whatever that work is, however you determine it should be, instead of just squandering your time and not doing anything, actively think about how you can produce for the Lord. As Albert Barnes notes of these words, the work of religion on the soul is always represented in the Bible as one of power, okay? If you have money, that's a representation of the power that you have worked in your life. If you're able to go out to the hinterlands on the back, you ought to see some of the photos she sends. I mean, they're taking a car, they can't get through because it's so muddy. So what do they do? They get on bikes, these motorbikes, and they're running. <laughs> just, I'm, they're going out in the middle of absolutely nowhere to these little villages, and the people live like in these these lean-tos, and there's palm trees, coconut trees everywhere. It's just it's marvelous. It's just so wonderful to see. Anyway, um, that, that that just came to mind today. I mean, I, there's lots of missionaries. Ray and Jess will be back in Papua New Guinea soon, and they'll be doing their thing. And uh, but that just came to mind because I saw those pictures and they were just kind of cool to see. Anyway, life application. As always, care needs to be taken when evaluating words, which may appear as if we must do something apart from faith in order to be saved or to continue to be saved. Such is not the case. If this were true, our salvation would not be by grace through faith. Instead, it would be by personal merit worked out in our action. This is not the gospel, and it is not the continued gospel. The gospel is that you believe that Jesus did this for you, and you are saved. The continued gospel is that God has saved you, and he will never unsave you. Okay? There's nothing that you need to do in the continued gospel. Because if you do, then it wasn't by grace through faith at the beginning. I say this almost every week in the pulpit on Sunday because I want people to get that. If somebody is telling you in a church that you need to do something, look, yeah, look at the motive behind it. If the motive is simply to keep, as he said, then that's not appropriate. But if the motive is because you have faith, do these things. Do the, you know, I at times will say, go get some tracks and hand them out this week, right? I just say that out of the blue during a sermon because it comes to mind. That's not something that you have to do to earn your salvation. If it was, I'd say, you know, if you want to be saved, keep handing those out. I don't do that. Do that because Jesus, people need him. He did this for you. Now get the word out to them, okay? 
Uh, and I love when I have to fold more tracks and in a big, when they're running out, that means that people are handing them out, whatever. But that's not to merit salvation. That's just to demonstrate that you love the Lord and you're willing to hand these things out, whatever, whether it's tracks or whatever. Do it in faith. Um, Twelve. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Very close. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and this is the last verse of this chapter. So we're going to get into chapter 2. And that's an exciting chapter because that sets the timeline for the end times events. Yeah, I mean, the, the timeline is there. If you get 1 Thessalonians 2 wrong, the reason why you get it wrong, and I'll say this now so that you can be ready for it. The reason why you will get 1 Thessalonians 2 wrong, the timeline that Paul gives us, is because you, what? Oh, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians 2, thank you. If you get 2 Thessalonians 2 timeline wrong, the reason is because you have taken something from the Gospels. That's the only way that you can possibly get this wrong, because what Paul says is so clear, it is so specific, but that will conflict with what you believe about the end times from the Gospels, where Jesus is speaking to Israel about things that are going to happen to them. It's not going to happen to the church, but if you believe that he is speaking to you in those verses, then you will have 2 Thessalonians 2 wrong, because you think this doesn't match this, and therefore he's got to be saying this. Right. And to say that, that, that the Gospels, what Jesus is saying is not to us, they're saying, you don't believe Jesus. It's well, that's like, right. Well, of course I believe Jesus, but he wasn't talking to me. He, he wasn't talking, talking to me. He was talking to Israel about things that affect them. Yeah, people will say the stupidest things like that, and I've been told that a million times over right. the years. Well, you just don't believe Jesus. No, <laughs> Jesus, I believe every word that he says. Right. I just believe that he's speaking to the people that the context is given to. He's speaking to Israel. They're under the law. They did not come to Jesus in the book of Acts. That's pretty clear. And so what happened? They were exiled and they've been under punishment for 2,000 years. That's explicit. I believe that he was speaking to them. And so the things that he said would happen to them happened to them. And when he says that they're going to be returned to the land of Israel and the Old Testament prophets, that's going to happen. And then what he says to them directly will then be applied to them. It has nothing to do with us. So it has nothing to do with not believing Jesus. It has to do with properly handling the context. So I've got that out of the way. We'll find out. We may get to it today. I don't know if we'll get this verse done or not. If not, we'll start 2 Thessalonians next week. Whatever. Um, Verse 112. The use of the term the name is given to denote the person. It is more than a mere title or form of honorary dignity. Everything about the person, his title, his power, his being, all of that is summed up in the term the name. So when we say the name of Jesus, it sums up everything about him into one thing, the name, okay? Therefore, the words that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified is speaking as a summary of what has been previously said not just about those saved, but about those set for destruction as well. Everything about the name is contained in that. He is not just the savior of mankind. He is also the judge of mankind. He is the one that will seek 
uh, retribution on those who have not obeyed the gospel, etc. All of those things are summed up in the name. He is Jesus, and everything about Scripture focuses on Jesus. So as we're going through the Bible, think this is pointing to Jesus. The name, it's summed up in those two words, okay? Um, uh, Therefore, the words that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified is speaking of a summary of what has been previously said. I know I've read this, I'm just repeating it. Not just about those saved, but about those set for destruction as well. They will see the honor and glory placed upon the saved, which will demonstrate God's righteous judgment upon them. This is because we, if you believe, are in Christ, and thus we are a part of his body. You've become a part of his body, the body of Christ. We, we, when we are vindicated, it glorifies him. This is why Paul continues with the words, in you. Everything about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted when he is glorified in his saints. And the reciprocal is true as well. As Paul then says, and you in him. Our salvation and God's favor upon us because of our faith in Christ will be seen as having been vindicated before the eyes of those who mock the faith and the faithful. Okay, every week we go through the update and there's all kinds of depressing stuff in there and a lot of the times, you know, not always, but I mean, uh, five or eight times a year we'll hear about the FFRF, the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And all they do is belittle the name of Jesus. That's a, they, they just don't want any... They couldn't care if Islam was taught in school. I guarantee you that. They say they're freedom from religion. They are freedom from Jesus. That is what they are... That's their goal, okay? They mock and belittle Christians in their judgments and in their uh, lawsuits. That's, that's their whole purpose of existence. And we get frustrated about it. We read these things and what's happening and it frustrates us because we don't want that. We want the name of Jesus to be glorified and these people are just tearing it apart. Okay, right now, you know, I didn't know that Merrick Garland was a Jew. So this has nothing to do with him being a Jew. I, but it shows you the caliber of the person. Uh, everybody here hear about the German or uh, the family from the Netherlands, I think. Anyway, uh, th- there's eight of them. They came here for religious persecution because they want to teach their children. They don't want to have them go to public schools. And they were going to be have their children taken away or put in prison. I, I, I read the article earlier, and I've read 8,000 other articles, so I don't remember the exact details. But here they are in America. They've come here. They were allowed into America. They've been living here. And now Merrick Garland has sued and is having them deported. We've got five million people that have come over the southern border in the past year. Five million people. And they want to deport eight people that came here because they want to exercise their freedom of religion. Because they're Christians. The U.S. government is suing to have this family kicked out of the United States when five million people that do not belong here have come over in the past year. Five million, like those eight people are going to make any difference at all, except to make a political and a personal vendetta against Christians. That's what this is about, okay? They, I saw a picture of, uh, it, this is the same type of thing, though. saw a picture of an old grandma in TSA, and she's being shaken down by the TSA agent. 
And they said, yeah, it, she, she, all she wants to do is travel home. And they're shaking her down. And yet there's no check of these people coming over the border. Zero. This is the thinking of these people. And this is exactly the type of people that Paul is writing about right here. This is exactly who he is writing about. It's these people want to tear apart the faith of people, especially the Christian faith of people. And this is how they do it. Okay, so Paul says that, uh, uh, where was it? He is glorified, the reciprocal is true, as having been vindicated in the eyes of those who mock the faith and the faithful. This is what every single thing that they do comes down to. Everything is to destroy what has been built up in this nation because it is, according to the Supreme Court decision of 1893, a Christian nation. That's still on the books. That has never been taken away. But this is exactly what Paul is speaking about. It's political, but it's exactly what he's speaking about. There are people that will come at you in every way possible, whether it's through politics or whether it's through, uh, you know, just... Uh, burning down your church or whatever. Fake science. Yeah. Evolution. Ap evolution. All of it is to mock the faith and the faithful. And Paul says, uh, yeah, Paul says that this is going to be judged someday. This is all coming. In their lives, they pursued either self-indulgence or some type of work-based salvation. Now, that may sound terrible to take a person that says he believes in Jesus and is work-based salvation and equate him to Merrick Garland and Joe Biden. But I hate to tell you, it's the same thing. They have rejected the grace of God in Christ. They've rejected it completely in this way, but they've rejected it completely in this way. I'm going to earn my salvation. It doesn't matter how you reject Jesus. If you are rejecting what he did, it's a rejection of Jesus. So they're out there mocking Christians like, uh, was it you or you? One of them uh, said that um, uh, the point about um, uh what they do and uh you don't believe jesus that's it okay uh right. yeah if you believe jesus and you'd obey his commandments because he said that well that's not the commandments he's speaking of right. but they are belittling you because of your faith in the grace which is displayed in the gospel it's the same thing it's just coming at it from a different approach okay uh so and, and that's why I equate the two of them in one sentence, either self-indulgence, think of the, the lefties, or some type of works-based salvation. It's still a rejection of what God has done, okay? However, the true Christian sets aside self and instead trusts in the work of Christ alone. Those people aren't trusting in Christ. They're trying to get rid of Christ. And those people aren't trusting in Christ because they're trying to work their way to heaven apart from Christ, okay? Our works are excluded, as it says, according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is, anybody? Grace is not getting with you. Getting with yeah, you can never earn. Unmerited favor. That's exactly unmerited favor. Yes, you were describing it. She just, I, I guess you were, uh, anyway. I was long-winded. That's okay. Unmerited favor. That is what grace is. Any work or effort to be reconciled to God on our part would mean we merited God's favor, and thus grace would be excluded, okay? And that's what these people are doing. You know, you're in a cult, and that's all you're doing is trying to work, work, work to please God. That's never going to equate to grace. It will never do it, okay? But such is not the case. Instead, we hear the gospel, we receive the words, and we're saved. That's that. The grace is twofold. First, it is of our God, Paul's words. And secondly, it is of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
rather than this being an argument against the deity of Christ, because they'll say, well, it says this and then this, it's an argument for it. Throughout his epistles, Paul speaks of the grace of God. He then defines that as being the gift of Jesus. So he's saying that this is one thing and this defines it. It's not two separate things, it is one thing. He's making an explanation of the first with the second, okay? Uh, so if anybody says, you know, that's an argument against the deity of Christ, you say, no, that's exactly the opposite, okay? It's defining it. Jesus Christ is God working out our salvation in human form. God is the one that provides the salvation. This is how he did it. He united with human flesh, and he is working that out in human form for us. He, it's done. I'm just saying that that's what happened in the process of redemption. The point of Paul's words is to demonstrate that God is just, he is righteous, he is holy, he is gracious, he is merciful, he is loving, and he is truthful. But more, he is perfectly so in each of these ways. He cannot violate his own righteousness in order to be gracious. If he did, he would be unrighteous. The same is true with each of these attributes. We talked about this a little last week. But through Jesus, he can accomplish all of these things without violating his own perfect nature. This is why the incarnation had to happen. It had to happen. He could not violate his nature and redeem us without coming in human flesh. Flesh. It had to happen. When God said, I will send the Redeemer into the world in Genesis 3.15, it was as good as done. The incarnation must happen, okay? And it actually happened before that because it says in Revelation 13, 8, behold the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Even before he created a thing, Jesus Christ had gone to the cross in God's mind, okay? Through Jesus, he can accomplish all of these things without violating his perfect nature. This will be seen and understood with all clarity by those who have rejected him and by those who are faithful to receive him. We'll all see it perfectly someday. Right now, we see, you know, hints of it. We understand it, but we can't really grasp it. Our minds can't attain it, but someday they will. And the people that reject him right now and say, well, I just can't believe that, you know, they will. They will understand it, and they will have all of eternity to think about what they turned down. I, as sad as that sounds, that was their choice. That's just how it is. Uh, we're not going to have time for another no. one, so this is it. Life application. Jesus is God's way of working out the salvation of man. No other way is possible, and therefore let us hail Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. To God be the glory. Glory to Gaither's song that glorious name I can, maybe that's young Susan she said it comes the baby in the storm so I don't know that song know. Google it Google okay <laughs> Gloria Gaither Gloria Gaither okay yeah. she sings a song that talks about the glory of the Lord his name oh his the name name oh wow yes wow okay we'll look that up what, what do I, that's a different song I know that one Name above all names. Yeah, that's a great one, too. Anyway, oh, okay, Gloria Gaither and the name. I'll just type that, and it'll come up. Yeah, it'll come up. Good. Heavenly Father, oh, we thank you for what you've done in Jesus. I, it's so wonderful to know that we are redeemed because of a simple act of faith. 
Anything more complicated never would have come about. But because of what Christ has done and by simple faith, we are reconciled to you. And I would pray that people would think that through and understand, one, the magnitude of what it means, but two, the simplicity of what it means. That we shouldn't try to mar grace by adding something into what you have done or to try to acknowledge the unacknowledgeable by saying that we could lose our salvation. It would be a violation of your own promise to us. And it's it's so obvious, Lord, but help us to think that through so that we can clearly see it, so that we can understand it and grasp it and not fail you in our thoughts when those dark times come where we do fail you. And we might wonder, why did you save us? But not if we are still saved. Thank you for that assurance that you've given us. We love you, we praise you, and we exalt you. And we do so in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Okay, let me go turn this thing off. And, uh, uh. All right, back to something. Say goodbye to the folks online. We'll go to break, break, break. <laughs>